0: welcome back to the anxious millennial podcast i am your one and only host alexandra i'd love to start this episode out with a quote from Brene brown because well Brene brown is all you really need to know she says that what separates privilege from entitlement is gratitude My guest on today's show, mental health advocate, Martin Hinault, quintessentially represents exactly that. Martin's journey is one of authenticity, transparency, and openness. Among his many accolades, including leader, speaker, and social entrepreneur, he currently sits as chairman of the board of Relief, an organization with a mission to support people living with anxiety, depression, and bipolarity, along with their loved ones. Open about living with bipolarity, Martin speaks his truth and is unencumbered by what we all expect him to be, white and privileged. He is refreshingly open about being these things. And this acknowledgement that many are afraid to admit to allows Martin to powerfully choose to push and fight against the grain of privilege in order to grow and advance both in his career and to advocate for those whose voices have been, frankly, oppressed." So please join me in extending a very warm welcome to Martin Hanno on Anxious Millennial. Martin, thank you for being here.
1: Oh, thank you for inviting me.
0: Absolutely. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I think we all want to know, anybody that knows you wants to know, what is your word for 2021 and why?
1: Oh my God, I, I have so many words for 2021, but I my word that I keep going back to is hope. Um, hope, not to go back, but hope uh, to change the way we've been doing and use the past COVID has brought us as a way to reinvent our future instead of just hoping to go back to how things were, but hope that we actually reinvent society for the better once and for all.
0: I am so elated at my guests this year. The words for 2021 are so much happier. So what can you tell me about your mental health journey, Martin? what can you share with us?
1: Well, mental health has always been part of my life. Obviously, I, I live with bipolar disorder. So even though I was only diagnosed a couple of years ago, I've, I've obviously lived with it my entire life. Um, I, I used to think that anxiety and depression was what I live with. Obviously, they're part of bipolar disorder and I still live with them. Um, but it took me a long time to put the words and the understanding of what I felt and um, My journey started as a swimmer, uh, having sports psychologist class, helping me manage stress. If you had told me back then that it wasn't stress that I had to manage with my bipolar disorder, I would have laughed at you because that that made no sense. But I, I went from not understanding what my own journey in mental health and mental illness was, um, to slowly understand that it's, it's not something I suffer from. It's something that I benefit from and that I live with and that enables me to be a better person. Um, and, and the struggles I've lived with the panic attacks that just threw me on the ground, sent me to the ER and, 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 and kind of changed my life, my perspective on life, because I, couldn't stop looking for something wrong with me physically um, and to realize that it is something physical I'm living with. It's, it's not something that I just imagine. It, it actually has physical repercussion, but I, I don't have a heart defect. I don't have a lung defect. I'm, I'm not fainting because of my heart is wrong. I'm fainting because I have panic attacks uh, related to my bipolar disorder. So it, it's been a journey of transformation, a journey of change and a journey of understanding that mental health is something that shouldn't be kept in private. It's something that we should be proud of who we are as human, we should be vulnerable. And that extends to our workplace and with the people that that we work with on a daily basis.
0: Amen to the pride piece. That is incredibly important. And that actually brings me perfectly into the next question, which is, the openness with which you talk about you know, your bipolarity. And I have to commend you on that because it would be easy to fall prey to society's, I guess, lack of education on the matter and just sort of tuck that away. What pivoted you into being so forthright with with the struggle, I suppose? Well,
1: it, it, it happened naturally for me. I've, I've never had a moment, like you, you hear people often talking about this breakthrough moment uh, where something happened and made them realize that they wanted to come out. I've never had that. It's not that I didn't have the shame, but the shame I lived in a different way. It was a shame towards myself more than other people. It was more that I, I couldn't understand what I was going with, what was going on with me. The reality is it started with me posting uh, for Revive back then, which is Relief now, the organization I'm chairman for in mental health, saying that I I need volunteers for the organization. Like I was looking for volunteers and people started writing to me saying, thank you for opening up. Do you need help? Are you okay? Thank you for enabling me to, to talk more openly. And my reaction was, I think they're sending a message to the wrong person because I'm asking for volunteers. I, I don't understand the messages. And and slowly, I, as I started explaining with people, I realized that just the taboo around mental health was still massive, especially in the workplace. And for them to see a white man, entrepreneur, executive talking about mental health was almost unheard of for, for many people, unfortunately. And that was seven, eight years ago. Um, and then slowly... I, I struggle with public speaking. Like I, for me speaking in front of a crowd, like, or speaking like we're doing right now has been my biggest weakness and struggle my entire life. My language has been a struggle. My, I, I I've, I lost my front teeth growing up and I started speaking, struggling with my S and my CH and other pronunciations. So so language was a struggle for me. So every time I had to speak in front of people, I, I either was sick before or after and I, I struggled, I was shaking, I was, I was struggling. Um, but it, it kind of gave me a purpose to try to get better at it. I figured that if, if it helps people to hear me talk about it, then it'll be good for me and them. And slowly, I realized that it was actually helping me massively because every time I spoke about something I was living with, hundreds of people would write to me or contact me. You know, back in the days where we could actually see people in real life, they would come to me <laughs> and, and say, thank you for opening up. I've lived with the same thing. So the more I realized it wasn't just about me, it was for everyone. It became a natural for me to just talk about what I live with.
0: Unbelievable. Again, the pride piece that you were able to put that away and you understood that this was bigger than you, I think is what a lot of leaders now need to understand. And we spoke offline, you and I just before about, you know, decisions you made for yourself to make sure you were, you know, showing up for yourself. And it's more than just about you, right? It's about the team of people that do inevitably look up to you, right?
1: for sure and and honestly look I'm a white man I'm a, I'm privileged as they come like I grew up as a catholic white man like it doesn't get better than that when it comes to society and it's incredible To not admit all of the wrongs I've personally done because of my own stupidity, not understanding the privilege that I had to women, to people of any skin color religion, simply because of my own ignorance. And now that I realize that, for me, it's important to mention how... It's in society, we have a role to be leaders, to change the way people think, the people operate and, and such. And, and that starts with how we manage ourselves. Um, if you never take vacation, your employees are never going to take vacations. If you never are able to say, you know what, that's it for today. I'm, I'm canceling the rest of my day because I'm, I'm just struggling mentally. Um, then your employees are never going to do it. And it doesn't mean that they should become a therapeutic workplace where everyone becomes a psychologist. Quite the opposite. Just a workplace where people can actually feel that they have a right to be humans. If they're not doing well, that they can just say, I'm not doing well. Um, And if it keeps happening, that the workplace has a right to say, you should have access to help. Let us know what you need. And if the person refuses to get help and continually refuses to to do anything to get better, then they get fired. And and that's okay because the workplace is understanding of of everything and the person's refused to get help. And maybe that's the kick they needed to just ask for help. So I I feel that there's a huge responsibility in in being ourselves Um, The leader, the way we manage ourselves and we tell other people to manage themselves.
0: The compassion, the compassion. I tell you, the importance of it cannot be stressed enough. As chairman of the board of Relief, what is your sense of how your own personal story fuels the work that you do there?
1: Well... I brought a lot of the focus on the workplace entrepreneurship for relief. Um, honestly, uh, a few years ago, six, seven years ago, when I was talking about how we needed to be in the workplace, I've had people coming to me saying I was putting dollar signs out of people, and that I, we needed to focus on the human, not the worker. And um, and and even from executives um, saying, "Hey, um, I." you should open up about what you just asked me for help from because people could would call me nonstop saying I need help for my daughter, for my son, for my wife, for myself. And then when I would tell them, all right, c- can you do something within your own business about what you just experienced? They were like, "Ah, eh, not really. Like it, 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 it's separate. I don't want them to be involved in my thing. So um, it pushed me to say, you know what, let's involve the workplace in solving this problem because the problem is Far bigger than governments, and quite frankly, I don't think governments alone can fix it. I think that we need a society to find new ways uh, to do so. And and what I've, I've decided is that I was going to stop relying on governments to fund the organization, and I was going to uh, convince uh, the amazing general manager Jean Remy to follow me on that journey, which he did. And he inspired me on so many other levels himself, and creating uh, the, everything that Relief stands for today. Um, and and we started on a journey where we actually. Looked look at bringing an entrepreneurship mindset to a non-for-profit while at the same time um, using that money that came in to help even more people. So it enabled us to literally do times six on the revenues in the last six years for where we were six years ago to now um, and helping significantly more people. We went from having about three or four people in our team of, for, for interventions to uh, being 12 or I think even 14 people nowadays. So we're helping significantly more people and helping them in ways that they can quickly apply the learning into their own life.
0: It's so interesting to hear finally that mental health and providing support for entrepreneurs is not mutually exclusive. It doesn't mean because you're a leader or you're an, you're a person in a position of power that there are no struggles. And that too was an important barrier to break because I think the insinuation is the leader has their stuff together. They don't need any help. They have, they seem to be fully supported. They clearly have capital, but you're working towards breaking that and you're actually providing support, which is absolutely incredible.
1: Well, the, the thing with leaders is, is often they do have the resources to get help, but they don't um, because they they want to be superman or superwoman. Like they they want to be the strong man or woman that that can walk through every wall without suffering and and always be stable. And they don't realize they're earning their bottom line. Um, and and it often you see when you have a massive change of structure at the top of a organization, it trickles down to a ton of people very quickly. Um, So it's not that it's more important to help the leaders, Um, quite the contrary, I think it's important to help everyone equally. But if you know that changing a leader's mindset, you can help 10,000 people instantly because of the changes that will come in, um, then I think that it's worth focusing on that as well to have changes to more people more quickly.
0: Yeah, that's the domino effect, absolutely. From our first conversation, Martin, we explored together how mental health management is more than just therapy. And this is something I've only just learned myself, having been an avid therapy goer my for, for a good amount of my adulthood. Um, but the fact that it requires community support systems. I know that relief offers services to help people live with anxiety, depression, and bipolarity. So on that, what can you tell us about what makes relief so unique in that respect?
1: Well, Relief um, launched by Jean-Rémy Provost, the managing director of 13, 14 years ago now, um, launched on an initiative that became known as the self-management support approach, which is a third pillar. And now we consider uh, traditionally to help someone like the the, the existing pillars are medication on one side through the traditional doctors and such and and therapy on the other side and uh, at different level, depending on the different needs. we believe that there's a third pillar, which is the person themselves living with that disorder or that disease or with any kind of issues. Um, and we feel that they need to be educated themselves um, as to what's going on with them. Because if you break your arm, the great likelihood is that your arm fixes itself up if, if it's straight and you can use it again. Regardless, if every night you look at it and say, don't heal up, don't heal up most likely your arm is going to heal up if you don't break it again. Um, your mind uh, and your brain doesn't work the same way. If you're not involved yourself in feeling better, there's no medication or therapy that will help you feel better. It doesn't mean you should educate yourself from Google, quite the contrary. You should have science-backed insights that enable you to better educate yourself around anxiety, depression, any issues whatsoever. Relief, our focus is anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder in, in the workplace and what it means and the self-esteem of, of people but but the same truth applies to to every illness you should be educated to what you live with and, and understand the effects of food, of exercise, the effect of how to talk about it with your families, the effect of uh, the social bias that can come with your surrounding. Like, if, if you come from a community, uh, an immigrant community that, that doesn't want to talk openly about these things, like I, I, have decided myself to involve myself a lot more in, in the black community of Montreal, especially the black community that comes from, uh, the Caribbeans because they still, in a lot of families, they are not allowed to talk about mental illness. They're not allowed to even touch the subject. They prefer to drink peppermint tea and tell people to drink tea versus opening up on that. Um, and, and it, it becomes a, a tragedy when you're not able to bring people to understand that, yes, they're allowed to live with those emotions. And where relief is helping is, is making people accept what they live with, but not just accept, not just say, okay, I'm, I'm fine with it now. Give them concrete education that will enable them to live happier and better because they understand what's happening with them and they understand how also they can communicate with people around them. And a lot of what we do is helping the families as well around them and the people closest to them to understand what to do and not to do when it comes with someone affected with mental illness.
0: Mm. It's as if you segued for me because my next my next topic was going to be conventions and culture because I know in our first talk or a couple of the first times that we spoke we talked about community and we talked about culture and myself being you know of Italian descent there there are all these sweeping generalizations right about the way culture plays a role in like you said there's the perception of you know what you're living through and then there's People's perception. So there's a, an element of education you have to do to the people that you love and the community that you love. Um, so it is key, right, to understanding you know the 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 mental health that you need to you know push through and make sure you're thriving. So how do you see culture and convention being more and more important and playing that role as we continue to seek change and seek education?
1: If, if you want my honest opinion on education. I think we should just wipe everything clean and start over. Not because the teachers are bad, because the system is bad. Um, I mean, if, if you look back as to how we educate our kids and our adults right now, it lies into the history of World War II and the post-World War II era in which we wanted to create the perfect little factory workers to create a perfect economy. Uh, the American dream of having a car, a dog, a family in a backyard and a pool and being able to clock your hours and, and watch TV in the evening realized nowadays that a lot of that was based on marketing and executives trying to make us believe in what actually made us happy versus what made us happy. But also it was simpler times. Like you you didn't have a phone that told you what happened with your friend in Singapore instantly from Montreal. Um, so we, and yet again, even though we fast forward, I mean, a kid nowadays at, at 15 has access to more information online than most humans at at 70 before. They can just Google or Yahoo or Bing, whatever they want, um, whenever they want, and and usually find validated information if they look deep enough in, in, in that. Um, yet we still obsess over educating them in the same way with the same things. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally believe that one of the great failure of modern education is a lack of creative thinking and creativity is often associated with singing and dancing and writing and, and drawing and painting. It's true. And, but it's not just that it, it's a mindset that we should have. We should stop obsessing over teaching French and English and mathematics and physics, and actually review the way creative thinking is part of our life and see that there's as much value. Value in teaching kids to sing and dance, and there is to mathematics, and change our system because creativity is what dra- drives real value in businesses, it, what drives real happiness in life. And I, I feel that if you bring back innovation, creativity at the art of how we educate kids, we will stop going from babies that love playing to babies that, that fit in a mindset that uh, that uh, that we want them, and to babies that keep being creative their entire life as they grow into adults.
0: Two things came to mind as you were speaking. So the first was my guest, Alexandra Luce, on my last episode was, she is a creativity expert, Martin. So it's so eloquent that we're going down this road because she did say that creativity is not just in the conventional sense of art and entertainment and, you know, uh, museums and music. It's the driving force behind the way We come up with solutions, the way we live our day-to-day, how we even manage our anxiety, how we manage disorders, how we manage mental health, and even it trickles into the system. Like you said, the education system, Montessori schools came up in our talk as well. So absolutely. And the second thing that came up was the Pink Floyd song, Just Another Brick in the Wall. Because as you were talking, I was picturing like a conveyor belt of of things and, and like the the worker just having to like repeat, repeat, execute, repeat, execute. So it's all so very relevant. It's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, I mean, and we've just done the biggest social experiment ever. We just sent all of humanity to work from home and businesses are still working. I mean, everyone's buying houses and chalets and pools and uh, renovations. I, I, I mean, yes, some people have lost their job and that's a tragedy, but I, but the overall economy worldwide hasn't suffered much from sending all of humanity to work from home. Um, and yet I keep, keep hearing people saying, well, we, we need to go back to being like before. I'm like, bullshit. Like, I mean, we, it doesn't mean that we need to go one extreme or the other, but it shows that humans are able to adapt very quickly and we have to stop thinking it takes 25 years to do any kind of innovation into thinking that innovation should just be part of our daily life.
0: Absolutely. I want to also touch on privilege, because it came up early on in in our conversation. And, and again, just how forthright you are with the fact that, you know, you did grow up with an element of privilege, you know, being a white male. How do you push through any kind of hesitation on other people's behalf that you know what, Martin is a white privileged male, right? And this is, you know, people insinuating based on, you know, lack of knowledge about you, and they don't know you. but.
1: I am a white privileged man, right. so yeah. that. <laughs>
0: but you're ab- so that's it. That is who you are, but it's rather surface level, right? Because you're so much more profound than that. How do you deal with that kind of pushback on you as, as a person?
1: Well, it, it's been an humbling journey to understand how much of a moron I was when it came to understanding the privilege of, of being a white man, and it still is a journey. It will always be a journey, and and we live in in times where we can't truly do anything right or wrong. We it, and we can do things very wrong But I mean that Everything that's right one moment is wrong The next one and right again the next after um, The and, and the reality of, of being a privileged white man Like me um The, the, the fact that I even understand it at this point for many is, is just mind blowing. Like I was part of a a panel on the Salon de la Femme Noire, the, the sound for, for black women initiative founded by Dorothy Rowe and, and, many other people. I was so proud of being invited there because I was probably the only or one of the only white men part of the entire programming. Um, and, and that again gave me perspective on why some of my reactions are racist to this day and, and why I, I put people in, in boxes without realizing like one of the things that I do nowadays to help me that white men usually ate is, and I, say it openly is that I, I give them one strike out of three when they're white men and I have to make a decision because I know that I'm going to give more uh, privilege to the white men because I'm used to do so because society has brought me to do so. Um, so if I, if I do that, I feel I'm making decisions that are more equal for everyone because otherwise, I will go after the white man Michel Tremblay more than uh, than a woman uh, with with a name that I can't pronounce because that's what society has brought me to understand and, and think. Um, so I, I truly don't really care about what people think about that journey because I'm doing it for the right reason. That I think are the right reason I'm doing it because I, I want to break. Walls that should have fallen a long time ago um, but I've, I've been called out many times that it's not my fight and that it, it shouldn't be me pushing that and um, I, it was in events uh, where I was the only white man or the only white person um, talking about racial inequality a few years ago in, in Washington DC and, and people kept telling me how dare you tackle that battle and I, I kept saying well I'm daring tackling that battle because it's the right thing to do and I, I can't just sit idly pretending that this is not a problem um it, we should it, all aim at being equal and and it starts by being okay with sometimes people not liking that
0: mm, it's also being okay with i guess discomfort right and knowing that that kind of putting yourself out there will be met with resistance so very commendable softening up a little and staring into the sort of the self-care Uh, lane. Can you share some practices that you keep up on, whether it's on a daily basis, weekly, what you do for yourself to to keep you grounded?
1: Well, first of all, is that I've put limits with people around me as things that they should watch for and that they should understand about me so they can also be warning lights for me. Um, I I make a point of always sharing what I feel uh, when I'm not feeling well with the people closest to me um, because there is no way that they can know what I need and expect of them if I don't tell them like it, you know, in, in relationship that the constant uh, reason why people fight is that um, you should magically understand what the other partner needs uh, without them telling you. And then you guess wrong. And that's the end of the word. Um, the reality is, is just opening up about what you expect out of people. So if, if I don't feel well, um, I'm going to tell, uh, people around me, sorry, I, I'm not doing well. Um, uh, what I need from you guys is ABC. I'm not going to expect them to know that I'm, I'm going to force myself to tell them. And if I don't know what I need, I'm able to say, I just don't know what I need right now. So, so bear with me while I'm trying to figure that out. Um, I, I, I try to push myself to exercise when I'm not doing well, I try to push myself to eat better uh, when I'm not doing well because that actually helps a lot in, in feeling better um, avoid alcohols or any kind of stimulants, I've never done drugs but I, I definitely would cons- recommend that people don't do weed for example uh, that don't touch cannabis on, on the days they don't feel well, it, it does quite the opposite of helping them in most cases um, and, and just trying to have a lt lifestyle and and that goes in into actually making yourself feel better because things kind of work out around you and and people understand that you need a little more space and and if i need time to just watch tv alone or play video games alone i i do it and i'm not shy of of saying that's what i need
0: hmm. the voicing those boundaries i think are a skill and i that that's something i think teaching that level of assertiveness too to to the next generation where you know, we don't want to breed another generation of people pleasing individuals, right? We want them to affirm when they need that time and without feeling that sense of guilt.
1: But even some of it is, is just your body. Like, women oh, yeah. are shy of talking that a period every month that there's a few days they're going to feel like shit. Uh, it's part of their body. Like it, it, it's a reality. And, and it's instead of living that alone and feeling that everyone's pissing you off, just saying, I need me time for a couple of days. So just bug me on ABC. Otherwise I'll do my job. And, and that's it changes the dynamic drastically.
0: Yeah absolutely but there's still it's so i can't believe that in 2021 and thank you so much for bringing that up women and what we deal with in terms of hormones you know that too still has a huge element of shame guilt and embarrassment and i can't believe we're still having this conversation about this in 2021 and it it baffles me i don't know what it's going to take clearly a lot of work left to be done You know, does it happen in schoolyards where, you know, um, women are teased? I'm not sure where it's bred from. And you had said so before. It's a very complicated, compounded problem. But... I, I'm thank you so much for bringing that up because yes, and the mind and the body speak. Yes,
1: <laughs> yes. I mean, the mind is an organ in the body. Your brain is the most complex organ in your body. Um, it, it's the same thing as having liver issues and having brain issues, but the brain is uh, massively more complex than the liver is. Um, so, <laughs> It, we're just in the stone age of understanding our mind works. Um, and we're just starting to untangle a lot of, of, of what makes us us. Uh, I mean, just genetic testing. Like I, I'm going through myself right now, a process of going through genetic testing. I didn't realize the taboos around that because uh, people think we shouldn't play God and that I shouldn't try to play God by understanding where I come from. Uh, reality is is we need to stop judging people. We just need to start accepting who they are and being okay that they're doing things we don't agree with, as long as it's not something inappropriate that pushes someone to feel worse because of that. That, That's my own boundaries.
0: Fear is often bred in lack of understanding, right? And the judgment is because of fear, is because of not understanding, is because of, you know, what does it, I mean, is my territory being encroached on? Like, it, you're right, it's very primitive, but I think judgment is bred in in fear, and, and maybe that's something to tackle too, is where is the fear coming from? And then there's implicit bias, right? Like, especially with race. Like, we're, we're bred to think a certain way because of images we see in the media. That too needs a lot of work. Um, so I guess I'd also love to know what it is you're most looking forward to as we're starting to come out of a... Worldwide crisis, even though there are many other things happening on this planet right now um, with with the mess that's happening in Israel with the the Palestinians. But um, on the more optimistic stance, what is it you're most excited about?
1: Well, I... I, well, I think COVID has done a few things that needed to happen for a long time. It gave a crash course on technology to a lot of people who refused technology in their life for the longest time. Um, it, so it kind of leveled up uh, society in, in a lot of developed countries, less so in the rest of the world, but unfortunately. But um, it's also given people hope that yes, work can be done differently and that yes, you can actually spend your time doing other thing than sitting in your car in traffic. Um, I I'm excited myself. I mean, I stopped counting the amount of stupid flights I've taken in my life to go somewhere for a single meeting, um, without realizing I was destroying the planet one plane ticket at a time, um, for meetings that sometimes we're worth it. Sometimes we're not worth it. But, um, I mean, I, I remember one time I was going to, to Australia. I actually took a layover in, in Doha because I had a meeting to do in Qatar. Um, and then ended up doing 30 something hour on a plane just to be able to do my one meeting in Qatar and and then end up uh, going back to Melbourne. Like, um, and then the next day realized I need to go to Shanghai so I took a plane to Shanghai then back to Dubai and the next day back to Melbourne I mean it's stupid for me as a person it's stupid for the environment it's stupid for society and and nowadays I'm so excited that I can just tell someone in Singapore let's gonna get, get on a zoom call they understand what I'm talking about or hang out or whatever medium you're using but they understand that yes it's okay to just talk to each other without taking a plane but at the same time it'll be so more exciting when I actually see people in real life and and reconnect with with just seeing and feeling the vibe of of having people around you
0: aren't we all I heard you say that and I got goosebumps aren't we all Martin thank you so much for your time today I really appreciate it
1: well thank you for inviting me always a pleasure and and good job on this podcast I think it, it does help a
0: lot of people once again a special thank you to my guest Martin Henault for being so open and authentic and honest I have to say there is something special to admitting that yes there's been work that's been done on oneself but then going further and saying, I'm putting myself in uncomfortable places and positions to make sure I continue learning. I think that takes a certain amount of will and skill and my hats off to Martin for being the kind of person who just wants to keep learning. So. That inspired me. I'm going to keep putting myself in uncomfortable positions so that I force myself to learn. So to find out more about relief, visit myrelief.ca and on Instagram, it's monrelief.ca. On a different note, the podcast turns one. I can't believe I have a podcast. To my guests this past year, you have taught me so much. I am eternally grateful. To my listeners, I do this for you, and I thank you for being there. So that being said, inviting you once again to go out there and conquer, and thanking you for being here, and I will talk to you next week. Bye.